Welcome, welcome, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the 25th edition of the Rambling Brews podcast, hosted by me. I do go by the name Tim, and well, folks, the Pittsburgh Penguins are no longer the only NHL team to go back-to-back in the salary cap era, as the Tampa Bay Lightning repeated as Stanley Cup champions this past Wednesday night a remarkable feat. Congratulations to them. I imagine that boat parade and that party down in Tampa is going to be electric. It's going to be a gong show. I cannot wait to see the footage of that. I think the parade's Monday at 11 a.m., We'll break down games two through five of the Stanley Cup final. We'll discuss how Tampa Bay was really far and away the better team in this series. We'll look at the performance of Conn Smythe winner, playoff MVP goaltender Andre Vasilevsky. Unbelievable performance. That guy is scary good. And we'll take a look at some other storylines from around the NHL and the sports world. But usually I would be saying the mountains are blue. It's Rocky Mountain cold. Another day, another pot, another Coors Light right now. But I actually got a different beer. This is going to shock some people. I've got an IPA. That's right, an India Pale Ale. But don't don't get ahead of yourself. This is an El Segundo Brewing Company Steve Austin's Broken Skull IPA. One of the only IPAs I'll probably ever drink. Stone Cold Steve Austin. So I'm going to go ahead and crack this beer before we get into anything. It's 6.7% alcohol per pint. Um, and it's pretty damn good. You know, you guys know that I'm not a big IPA guy, but Stone Cold Steve Austin comes out with his own beer. He designed it, uh, a company that he has a partnership with brewed it. You're damn right I'm going to drink it. So um, it just got to Pennsylvania a little bit ago. They had some uh, samples come in a few months ago. I got it uh, maybe back last summer, and it's just starting to get into Pennsylvania now. I know New Jersey has it, New York, and some other states on the East Coast here in the Midwest. Uh, but it's brewed out in Nevada where Stone Cold lives, so you might not have been able to uh, to get it wherever you live. But whenever it gets to your beer distributor or your gas station or wherever you buy your alcohol, definitely pick this up. It's a damn good beer. Um, before we get into anything this week, I just want to talk about last episode. I mentioned my daughter was transitioning from a crib to a toddler bed. So this is the toddler update on the Rambling Brews podcast. Um, I'm sure all the parents out there listening can attest to how difficult it can be to transition you know, your child over from a crib to a toddler bed. And it's been about four or five days now, and I think she's been uh, doing pretty well. I'm proud to report it's going fairly well. She was at my mom's house for the day when we uh, put it together, my wife and I. And she got home that night, and she was ecstatic. I mean, she just thought it was so cool that she had a big girl bed. It was awesome for us to see how excited she was. And she did exactly what I expected, pretty much. I mean, she treated it initially like a 20 by 20 squared circle WWF ring. And I was just waiting for her to go full-blown Jeff Hardy, swanton bomb off the top rope. But she really didn't. She jumped around a little bit. She had a good time. But she really just lays in her bed now. And she's so proud that she has a big girl bed. It's pretty awesome to see. And and I'm the dad that you know wakes up every hour to check the monitor and you know, see what she's doing, if she's in bed or whatever she's up to. And some nights, I mean, she's completely out of the bed. She just passed out on the floor. Uh, But as most parents know and other parents out there that are listening, there's no way I'm going to go in there and wake her up and put her in her bed. So because at 3 a.m. in the morning, she'll be just going bananas, wanting to play and all this stuff. So I actually agree with her, too. Maybe we're weird, but I find the floor to be incredibly comfortable sometimes. Um, I like just sleeping on the floor, you know, no sheet or anything, just a little blanket, a pillow, just sleeping on the carpet. It's a good time. Uh, brings me back to some college days. We used to pass out on the floor, but, uh, I digress from that, but you know, maybe that's why I've been at the chiropractor a few times a week, the last month or so. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's the toddler update on the rambling Bruce podcast. And we'll get into the Stanley cup final recap. Now officials are ready. The goaltenders are ready. The timekeepers are ready. Let's drop the biscuit and take a swig of this El Segundo broken skull IPA and dive right in. So last episode, I mentioned it was um, the day of Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Final when the episode dropped. It was last Wednesday, and it was after the Habs got shit-pumped 5-1 to one by Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay. Tough arena to play in down there at Amelie Arena. The crowd was raucous. The crowd was bumping. Um, and really, honestly, I mean, Montreal, they didn't have it. They really didn't show up. Carey Price had a, had a weak game, I would say, for his standards. Um, some of the goals were not necessarily his fault, and we went over that last episode, but... Game two, I mentioned it on the last episode that I thought game two, Montreal would come out swinging. They'd come out fire and they would have a much better performance than they did in game one. And I thought they were going to win two to one. That was my prediction on the last episode. And I came up a little bit short, but I was right on 50% of my prediction because Montreal did come out swinging. They played much better. I felt they really controlled the play in the first period, in the first uh, half of the second period. 
And unfortunately, it's the story of the game in the series for Montreal. They just they were out shooting Tampa in that game, sixteen to seven, midway through the second period. They just couldn't beat Andre Vasilevsky, and not many teams can. I mean, we'll talk about him in a little bit. He's unbelievable. His stats were just incredible this year, and the run that he's been on in that team. Um, but like I said, they were up sixteen to seven in the shots. They were really out chancing them. I thought um, the puck was in Tampa's end. The ice was tilted a little bit. Montreal had all the momentum, and then. Uh, Tampa gets a little bit of zone time. Great shift from Tyler Johnson. He has the puck down low. I'm not sure who he chipped it up uh, to on the half wall, but the puck eventually made it up to Anthony Sorelli, another stud player, um, just an underrated player for Tampa Bay. And he basically just threw the puck at the net. He's looking for traffic. He's looking for a redirect. Um, a lot of noise in front of Carey Price. He couldn't really see it. And it went right through his six hole from the blue line. If you don't know what the six hole is, the six hole is um, when – Basically, it's above the pad and under the blocker arm, so like right under your armpit. And everybody, I think, knows what the five hole is in hockey. That's between your legs, between the wickets. Um, but it went right through his six hole, and it was a surprising shot. I know Carey Price, he threw his head up in the air, and he was looking to the rafters. He couldn't believe he let it in because they were really controlling the play, like I mentioned. And that was where I thought, you know what, man, this is bad. You know, it's never good whenever you're controlling the play, you're playing well. And sometimes that's the way hockey goes, and the other team gets a lucky, fortunate bounce. And that's what happened for Tampa. But you got to give credit to Montreal. Minutes later, uh, Nick Suzuki on the power play at the top of the circle. They won the faceoff. He got the puck on the backhand. He kind of just threw a weak backhander towards the net. And I think uh, Vasilevsky thought Corey Perry, who was standing in front of the net, was going to tip it or try to redirect it. And, and Corey Perry did try to tip it, but he completely whiffed on it. And the puck just kind of went right between uh, Vasilevsky's legs. And I think, like I said, he was thinking it was going to get redirected. It was one of the slowest shots ever. It looked like a beer league goal. Uh, and you know that Vasilevsky was not happy about that at all. And I thought, oh shit, you know, like Montreal, they, they bounced back quick. It was only a couple minutes after that first one. And the way they were playing and the way they were answering back with that tying goal, I thought maybe they can steal game two on the road, but you know, it, it just, it just wasn't meant to be uh, Tampa Bay late in the second period. Usually you'll see this in hockey um, where a team will give up a goal in the last minute or so of the period. And it's really a backbreaker, especially in a tie game where, you know, it might be uh, 1-1. In this case, it was 1-1. And you, you're thinking, okay, we're going to go to the next period. In this case, we're going to go to the third period. We have a strategy. We're going to be tied. We'll come out. We'll play a little bit aggressive, yada, 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 all that stuff, right? But if you give up a goal late in the period, everything changes. Your whole strategy changes. Now you got to be more aggressive right off the rip to start the third period because you got to get back into it. And especially in this game, if Montreal drops down to, you know, drops down 2-0, it's going to be very tough to to beat Tampa four out of five um, with you know two of those games potentially on the road. So, but what happened was uh, an unbelievable play. I'm not sure who it was. It might have been Sorelli. Um, that passed the puck on a backhand pass over to Blake Coleman. And Blake Coleman laid out uh, one of the most spectacular goals I've ever seen in my life. He dove, and he just got a tip on it. It reminded me a lot of a goal that Crosby, Sidney Crosby scored back in like 2006 or 2007 from an assist from Mark Recchi uh, coming down the wall. Definitely that Crosby one was a lot more spectacular. It wasn't in the Stanley Cup final, I'll say that, but he, it was basically just an unbelievable play where he laid out and redirected it into the net. And coincidentally, it was against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But in this case, Blake Coleman, he dove, got a stick on it, got good wood on it, nice tip, um, and scored on Carey Price with, I believe, 0.3 seconds to go in the second period. An ultimate backbreaker if you're a Montreal Canadian or a Montreal Canadiens fan. I mean, you think you're going to go into the third period, you're tied up, you got a chance to steal game two, and now you're down 2-1. And... You know, some people I saw online, a lot of Tampa writers and Tampa fans were saying it was the best goal ever scored in the Stanley Cup final. And I say, pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. You're going to need new rotors. You're going to need new brake pads after you pump the brakes that hard. Because, my God, have you ever seen Mario Lemieux in 1991 just make the Minnesota North Stars look like a beer league squad? If you haven't, YouTube that Mario Lemieux goal in 91 in the Stanley Cup final. It's probably the best goal ever. Um especially with the, the circumstances and just what he's able to do with the puck. It's unbelievable. And not taking anything away from Blake Coleman. Unbelievable goal, but the best goal ever. I mean, come on. Um, so they go to the third period, and you know Montreal's basically on their heels the whole third. Um, obviously, after giving up that goal and the momentum that Tampa was able to gain, they come out firing. And then uh, about four minutes left in the third period, it's pretty tight, still 2-1. Joel Edmondson for Montreal, he tries to make a simple reversal play behind his own net that most defensemen make every, you know, maybe 20, 30 times a game. Um, and the other defenseman, I don't know who it was, wasn't um, 
you know, necessarily expecting the pass to come. And it went right to Andre Pilat. And Carey Price wasn't expecting it to come either. And Andre Pilat got the puck off the boards, a lively board bounce right to, on his stick. And he put it right in the empty net and made it 3-1 with about four minutes left. And, you know, it, it was all she wrote from there, to be honest with you. It's just like the story of the series for Montreal. If you watch the whole series, it was poor plays, not getting the puck out, poor turnovers. And Tampa Bay, give them credit, they capitalized on just about every chance they had. Um, Montreal, they had chances. In that game, they had a four-on-three power play, and they really had no movement at all. What really pissed me off a little bit, and I'm not even a Montreal fan, obviously, but I was hoping for a better series. But Montreal, they had chances. They had a four-on-three power play. Like I said, they got no movement. Everybody's standing around. They're waiting on Shea Weber to take a slap shot. But Tampa Bay, great penalty-killing team. They were just in his in his way, basically, in the lane. Wouldn't let him take the shot. And uh, four-on-three power play is one of the best power plays you can get in the National Hockey League, in any hockey level at all, pretty much, because you know there's so much ice out there. It's very difficult in the triangle. Like If you're a three-man penalty-killing unit, you got a man up top and two guys down low, probably two defensemen. And it's very difficult because there's a lot of ice. They can zip the puck around, and they can... Uh, you know, pass the puck through the slot and get a cross seam pass, make the goalie move left to right or right to left or whatever the case is, make it very difficult on them. So it was definitely disappointing to see uh, Montreal come away with nothing there. They really just had nothing going and they couldn't adjust. Uh, they couldn't adjust at all. Um, in that game, I mentioned, you know, they lost three to one. They outshot Tampa. Montreal outshot Tampa 43-23. It's a bad sign if you're Montreal. You outshoot Tampa by 20 and you lose three to one. So Definitely not what you want there. Um, I'm going to take a swig of beer before we dive into Game 3, but that was disappointing. I thought Montreal let a chance slip away uh, to even up the series, and then who knows what happens from there, but uh, definitely disappointing. So swig of this Broken Skull IPA. And shout to my neighbor Jordan for giving me the hookup, letting me know that uh, Colonial Beer down the street, shout to them, got the El Segundo Broken Skull IPA in finally. I've been looking for it. Um Game three, I mean, just an absolute beatdown, a clinic by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, they put on a show from start to finish, was the dominant team right off the rip. And I wanted to talk about Tyler Johnson. He had two goals in this game. Um, he once was featured prominently on the team in a top six role, a top two line role. He played on the power play, but, you know, they're so deep now. The last couple of years, he's played a bottom six role. He's been on the third or fourth line. Um, like I mentioned, he had two goals in the game. He's a hell of a player. He might not be in Tampa next year, um, but they have so much depth. It's unbelievable what they've been able to do in this whole playoff and last year's playoff as well. And you can say what you want about the salary cap and them being over the cap by $18 million or whatever the number was that's been floating around. I don't think it's exactly $18 million because I think some of those people actually are black aces. Um, and black aces basically are minor league players or junior players or whatever that come up and they play with the team because there's no you know roster limit in the playoffs. And also, there's some guys on long-term injury reserve. I want to say Marion Gabrick is uh, on LTIR for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And he hasn't played in the NHL for like four years. So he's got a contract. He's on LTIR. But really, it's only probably a couple million. He's been there. The Tampa's over the salary cap. And it's not even that big of a deal to me, to be honest, because every other team could do it. Chicago did it before. I'm sure there's a bunch of teams. I've talked about this on previous episodes that are over the salary cap. So it's just uh, Canadian fans and hockey fans in Canada in general just upset that the Canadian teams have been irrelevant since 1993. None of them have really come close to being a dominant force in the NHL, and they're just looking for something to bitch about. It's pretty sad. We'll see that in a little bit. We'll talk about with Vasilevsky, but people are just looking and grasping at straws to complain about anything to try to discredit the Tampa Bay Lightning. You really can't do it. Um, but also, like, the top-end players, like I mentioned, Tyler Johnson with the depth. The top-end players for Tampa in this game played extremely well. I mean, Victor Hedman and Nikita Kucherov, both two goals each, one assist each as well. Um, so, you know, whenever you're getting production from your top end guys and your depth and you're winning six, three on the road in game three and putting on a show and dominating from start to finish, it's going to be very tough uh, for the other team to come back. And they were down three Oh, uh, Montreal down three Oh in the series at that point. And my biggest takeaway from this game was the Montreal Canadiens audio guy. I mean, this guy is either the most miserable guy on the planet or he's a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, or I'm not sure, because after the game, like I mentioned, they lost 6-3 to at home. Montreal did. Tampa Bay takes a stranglehold on the series. They're up three games to none. And the fans are in the building. Some of them paid $11,000, $12,000 for two seats to watch their team get pumped. 
and never really ever be in the game. And what does this guy play as Montreal skating off the ice and the game's ending and Tampa Bay celebrating with Andre Vasilevsky in the goal crease? In the end, by Lincoln Park. <laughs> I mean, have you ever heard that song? Everybody and their mothers heard that song. Basically, after the game, they just lost, mind you. They're down 3-0 in the series. It's basically all she wrote. And this guy plays... We tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. Like, what in the hell, dude? Like, talk about throwing in the towel. I'm just sitting on my couch. I looked at my wife. I'm like, did he just really play in the end by Lincoln Park? I mean, I know it's a tough series, but Jesus Christ, man. I got to take a swig of beer for that guy. I hope he's doing well. He seemed like he was in a really bad spot after that game, as were the Montreal Canadian fans. But that was really the only highlight of that game because Tampa Bay dummied them. Then in Game 4, Montreal, I mean, they're down three games to none in the series, as I mentioned. But at the time in the playoffs, they were 3-0 and when facing elimination. And then Tampa Bay's mayor, before Game 4 in the media that day, she came out and she made a statement that if you're a superstitious person like me or you're a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, you definitely didn't want to hear uh, she came out and she basically said, you know, she didn't want Tampa Bay to go up in Montreal in game four at the Bell Center and win the Stanley Cup. She wanted them to let Montreal have a win and then the Lightning could come back and play game five in Tampa Bay at the Amelie Arena and win the Stanley Cup in front of their home fans. And I'm thinking, man, I would have, oh, if I'm a Tampa Bay fan, I would have been so pissed that she said that because you're just cursing them. And as soon as I heard her say it, all I could think about was the time that, you know, basically it was like PTSD for me. The time that my wife, um, now who was my girlfriend at the time, we went to a Penguins game and the Penguins were playing the LA Kings. I don't remember what year it was, but I'll never forget this game. They were up 3 nothing, I think, with about 12 minutes to go in the third period. And my girlfriend, who my wife is now, but you know, she was my girlfriend at the time, she leans over to me and she says, you think they'll get a shutout? And I, I couldn't believe she said it. I really couldn't believe she said it. I'm like, What? And sure as shit, I'm pretty sure like two or three minutes later, the LA Kings scored, blew the shutout. And it's like unbelievable. I mean, it's like whenever a guy has a perfect game in baseball through eight innings and then somebody says, oh, he's got a perfect game, then you know you're going to blow it. You ruined it. You just screwed it up. And that's what I thought Tampa Bay's mayor was going to do here. I mean, it's a long shot for Montreal to win four straight against Tampa um, and two on the road. But, you know, you never know. You never know. Um, But in a game, honestly... Montreal, they came out. They had a much better showing uh, to start the game. Shea Weber, he was all over the place. A lot of the Habs were taking runs at Braden Point. He was largely quiet in the series. No goals in the series, I believe. No goals in his last six games, dating back to the previous series against the Islanders. And, you know, they don't really need him to score. That's the one thing about Tampa. I talked about their depth and how deep they are from top to bottom in their forward group. And even on their back end, their blue line, they can score. They've got guys that can chip in. I talked about Tyler Johnson, two goals in one of the games. Um, you got even your top end guys. You got Kucherov. Um, look at Anthony Sorelli. You know Ross Colton. Um, just unbelievable depth. Great players. You don't need Braden Point to be scoring all the time. He's still getting chances. He's still producing. Um, you know, getting chances. Obviously, he's still getting assists and stuff like that. I mean, it's somebody that Montreal has to game plan against, and you don't necessarily have to rely on him to score all the time. And Josh Anderson from Montreal, I mean, he was an absolute madman in the game. He was just running all over the ice, running guys, laying the body, trying to impose his will on the lightning defenseman on the forecheck. And he took a beautiful backhand sauce pass from Nick Suzuki. And side note here, Nick Suzuki, he may have played his way onto Team Canada's roster in the Olympics for the the way he's been playing, you know, the way he played in the postseason this year and throughout the regular season. What a player he is. Uh, We'll talk about that down the road when the Olympics get a little bit closer. But Nick Suzuki, what a player. Swig a beer for him. But Josh Anderson, I mean, he took a beautiful backhand sauce pass, as I said, from Suzuki and went top bunk on Andre Vasilevsky and gave Montreal in Game 4 their first lead of the series, up 1-0. And you think, uh uh-oh. You know, they can get some momentum here, but again, the same thing that's been plaguing and it plagued them the entire series, Montreal. Bad turnovers, bad decisions, mental errors. And Tampa Bay, so whenever a team's trying to exit the zone, 
they usually use the boards, right? The, the forwards, will, the puck will come rimming around the, the boards of the glass from the defenseman up to a winger, and he'll either try to chip it out of the zone or chip it to a, a centerman that's kind of filling up close to him to try to get it out of the zone. And Tampa Bay, they do an outstanding job of taking away the boards on the zone exits. So usually you have two choices in that case if you're Montreal or a team playing against a team that takes away the, the boards on the zone exits. You either chip the puck up off the glass and play it safe, what Montreal should have done, because they're up one nothing, they need to win. They don't need to, you know, jumpstart uh, Tampa Bay's transition offense or anything like that. They don't need to feed into it. You know, Tampa Bay is already going to get their chances. No, necess- it's not necessary to give them chances or give the puck away. Or you can try to move the puck up the middle of the ice, you know, and, and run set plays and just get it out of your zone. Basically, all you can do. In this case, Jeff Petrie. He makes just a really, really, really bad play. He took the bait. He tried to force a pass up the middle to Josh Anderson instead of playing the puck off the glass. And an unbelievable play by Ryan McDonough, who was a great signing by the Tampa Bay Lightning a couple years ago from New York. He was the captain of New York, one of the best defensemen in the NHL. And he's not asked to be the main guy, the top defenseman in Tampa, and he's flourished. Uh, He's been unbelievable. He definitely could have got some Conn Smythe trophy votes, um, if you ask me. You know, after the series was over, but he made a great play. And then what does he do? He jumps into the rush. He realizes that they have an odd man uh, scenario in the offensive zone. He gets a pass. Uh, the puck is in his skates a little bit. He doesn't really have a chance to shoot it. So he makes a blind backhand pass right on the tape of Barclay Goudreau in front of the net, and Goudreau buries it 1 1. And you're like, holy shit, this team, the transition is unreal. But for Montreal to just give the puck away like that, you know, you just feel bad. Um, for Montreal fans because they thought maybe, you know what, we could we could get this game and we can get running here. But obviously, you know, they gave up a bad turnover and they're giving away goals. They gave away goals all series. And you can't really say that they gave them away. I mean, they made bad plays, but you got to give Tampa credit for the way they played and the, and the defense they played to force those turnovers. Then Alexander Romanoff, the guy, I mean, he was for the Montreal Canadiens. He was injected into the lineup for youth, speed, uh, his physical play, just a change of uh, a pace in the lineup on the blue line there. He takes a nice snapshot from the blue line and buries it. Top cheese, uh, 2-1. And you're thinking, okay, Montreal might win this game here. Might win it in regulation. They got a chance. They can go back to Tampa in game five. Who knows? Um, and then obviously the story of the series again. I keep coming back to this. But Montreal can't get the puck in deep at the opposing blue line. They turn it over, give up a 2-1-1, and then Patrick Maroon gets a nice pass and buries it 2-2. And Patrick Maroon, he had a hell of a series. Uh, He was all over the place, very physical, um, chirping guys. All the mic'd ups I've seen on Twitter and Instagram and stuff were awesome with Patrick Maroon. He's a great guy. He's the guy that uh, you know ultimately ended up winning his third Stanley Cup in a row, but he had won last year with Tampa and the year before with St. Louis, and you're happy for him. What a player. And then in overtime, you know, right at the end of the period, in the third period, Shea Weber took a high-sticking call, and it drew blood. Um, I'm not sure who it was. It might have been Andre Palat uh, for Tampa that, that took the high-stick. I'm not exactly sure. I can't remember. But um, basically, I'm thinking at the end of the period, going into overtime, this game's over. I mean, at the time, Tampa Bay basically had like a three-minute power play, and their power play is deadly. I mean, it's deadly. Um, it's just unbelievable. They have Stamkos, Hedman, Kucherov, Point. Uh, just crazy. Uh, the lineup they can trot out there for the power play. And, you know, give credit to Montreal. Uh, their best defenseman was in the box, obviously, with Shea Weber taking the penalty. A huge kill. They killed the penalty. And then minutes later, just the way hockey goes, minutes later, Josh Anderson gets a nice rebound goal uh, for Montreal to make it, you know, a 3 1 series. And they're going back to Tampa for game five. So you got to give credit to Montreal. They bounced back. They got the win. Uh, they didn't get embarrassed and get swept. I think it would have been the first sweep since 1998 when I believe it was the Red Wings swept the Washington Capitals, which you love to see. Um, but they avoided the sweep, and they go to Game 5 down in Tampa. Maybe the Tampa Bay mayor was thinking, you know, she's rubbing her hands together. She's fired up. She's sitting there like, exactly what I wanted in front of my hometown crowd or whatever. So... Uh, pretty awesome, but you got to give a swig of beer for Josh Anderson for really stepping up and getting the job done and getting Montreal a win. In Game 5, I mean, prior to the game, my buddy Dustin, shout to him, he's been a, a guest on the Rambling Brews podcast. He sent me a picture of like a graphic they had on the news, and you can check it out at Rambling Brews Podcast on Instagram. I posted it a couple days ago before the game, but prior to Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final, okay, 
the Stanley Cup final where the Tampa Bay Lightning could win this uh, Stanley Cup for the second year in a row, their third overall. They have a graphic on the screen which is explaining offside, the offside rule, the most simple rule in all of hockey, the most basic rule. So not a good look for the Tampa Bay Lightning fans. I know people in Tampa will trip and say, ah, well, we don't, yeah, you guys make fun of us because we don't know what offsides is, blah, 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 but we win all the time. Well, yeah, that's fine. And if you're a Tampa fan, and if I was a Tampa fan, I would probably say the same thing. But it's definitely a bad look if you don't know what offside is and you're out there rooting for the Stanley Cup. I mean, it's basic knowledge. But shout out to Dustin for that, and that was pretty funny. Um, in the game, Josh Anderson again for Montreal was a madman. Andre Vasilevsky was unreal early. Uh, Tampa Bay, you know, basically from like about the seven-minute mark in the first period on to the rest of the game, they really controlled it. Uh, the ice in Tampa was terrible. That's Florida hockey in July. The puck was bouncing all over the place. You saw Montreal. They had chances to uh, shoot the puck, curl and drag and shoot it. They're fumbling the puck off their sticks. The puck's bouncing all over the place. Same with Tampa. Um, probably why you saw the score be one nothing to end the game on a goal from Ross Colton on a backdoor tap-in from a great pass by David Savard. Again, depth scoring. Uh, for Tampa Bay. And late in the game, Josh Anderson, he got a nice pass on a breakaway. And uh, I thought he got hauled down by a free hand. You know, he probably could have got a penalty shot. He got a decent shot off. Um, not a great shot because he kind of got hauled down. I thought he got tugged on his jersey by a free hand. And in the regular season, that's probably a penalty shot or, you know, at the very worst, a penalty. Um, and 100% why he didn't get the call, you know, for a penalty shot or a penalty. If you paid attention at all during the game, at least four or five different occasions, you know, uh, Josh Anderson, he was either hit or checked or slashed or whatever, and he would turn around and scream at Dan O'Rourke, the, the referee or the other referee. I'm not sure who the other official was, um, but just screaming at him. And you're not doing yourself any favors when you do that. You just play. Um, you just got to keep playing. You play through it. It's unfortunate. It's been happening all playoff. And, you know, Montreal, they haven't really been called for a lot of penalties. I know Habs fans don't want to hear that. I think they were like 13th or 14th in the NHL this year. Um, and penalties against. So it happens to every team. But if you're screaming at the officials constantly, um, you got to know that you're not going to get calls late in the game. And you're not going to get calls late in the game anyways, but especially if you're trying to show up to the, um, you know, the officials. And that's a young player, Josh Anderson. He's got to learn his lesson about that and change his attitude. You know, you see that a lot throughout the NHL. When they get older in their careers, these players, they adjust, they adapt, and they start getting the veteran calls. And that could have changed the game. But it wasn't egregious. Um, I thought it should have been called probably, but the way the NHL officials have been calling the games throughout the playoffs, I wasn't surprised at all. And honestly, Montreal, I mean, they didn't get enough shots. It seemed to me they didn't have enough of a sense of urgency. I know Tampa Bay is a great structured defensive team and they have the puck a lot, so it's difficult to get shots on goal, but they really didn't get a lot of chances, Montreal. And, you know, they really weren't ever in the game and never really had a chance to win. I know it was a one nothing game, but Tampa really, like I said, controlled it from start to finish. Um, so they wrapped it up one nothing. Tampa Bay won the Stanley Cup, their second Stanley Cup in a row. Swig of beer for those guys. And one guy you got to feel good for is uh, Steven Stamkos, just a great player. Um, he's dealt with some injuries and some hardships over the last couple of years. Last year when they won the Stanley Cup, I think he only played one game in the playoffs. He scored a goal in the final, I believe, the only game he played in, and it was a great goal down the right wing five hole, I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly. And, you know, you got you had to feel for him because he didn't really get a chance to be out there with the boys and, and be out there with his teammates and get the job done. So this year you're happy for him. Um, he, I think he had eight goals in the playoffs, a great playoff for him. Um, not necessarily the best player on the team anymore or relied upon to be the best goal scorer or the, you know, leading point producer, uh, but definitely feel good for him. And the one thing I think about with Steven Stamkos is, and this is just a hunch from me. Um, I haven't heard this from anybody else, but I talked about the Tampa Bay salary cap, which we'll talk about here in a minute again. But, you know, does Tampa Bay's, you know, management potentially ask him to waive his no movement clause? Because they don't necessarily need Steven Stamkos. He's their captain. Um, he's beloved in that town. He's a great guy. Uh, but you just wonder, like, do they need him? Um, he's making $8.5 million a year. I'm not sure how many more years he has left on his deal. But, you know, they, they're in some salary cap trouble going forward, which we'll talk about here in a second. But, you know, you just wonder, you know, what Tampa Bay's uh, front office and their management might do. But, again, at any rate, you feel happy for Steven Stamkos. He deserves it. Great player, great guy. 
um, his second Stanley Cup. But this one, he really, really had a, a big hand in contributing to and playing every game um, after missing some significant time last year and then through the regular season this year. Um, also on the injury front, Alex Kalorn. Um, he couldn't play the last few games. He's a great guy. He's got that awesome, uh, I think it's called Doc Talk, where he has like a show on YouTube where he like rides his jet ski because that's the sick thing about playing in Tampa is all those guys live right on the water, and I think they all ride their jet skis to the game which is pretty sick. And they just have a dock at the Amelie Arena, and they all park their jet skis, and then they go to their games. That's pretty awesome. But Kalorn, he's a great guy, great personality. He's pretty funny. He's been on a bunch of podcasts, and uh, you know he's, he's hilarious. So happy for him. But he fractured his fibula, and he actually got surgery during the Stanley Cup final and got a rod put into his leg, and he was hoping to play. He was trying to get out there and play, um, and that would have been ridiculous. I mean, to get out there. And he came out after they won the Stanley Cup. He was able to skate around with the Cup. It was pretty awesome to see. It's pretty cool to see those guys come out. You know, the guys, I remember back in 2016 when uh, the Penguins won it, when Trevor Daly, he had a fractured leg. He could barely stand up. But he gets all his gear on. He gets his skates on. He gets out there. He parades around with the Stanley Cup. Um, It's definitely an unbelievable feeling for those guys. So you got to tip your cap and have a swig of beer for Alex Kalorn. And Nikita Kucherov, I talked about a couple episodes ago with uh, Scott Mayfield from the Islanders, giving him that cross check in the lower back. It fractured his rib, um, which was reported. And you can really tell, honestly, I I knew he was hurt. He was still producing and playing pretty well. But in game four, he had a one-timer at the end of the game that he whiffed on. And he looked to be in agony after that. I mean, his body looked like he was really sore and he was like yelling. You could tell he was in some serious pain. Um, They said he was receiving numbing shots before each game. And, you know, you got to just, again, these guys are so tough. You hear it all the time, you know, hockey toughness. I remember back, you know, Patrice Bergeron back in 2011, I think he played the Stanley Cup final with a uh, broken rib, which punctured his lung. And he played the entire uh, series. These guys are a different kind of tough, um, you know, and people always joke about the NBA players and LeBron James crying when he's got a cramp and stuff like that, but it's really true. I mean, these guys are willing to dive in front of a puck that's traveling 100 miles an hour, a frozen piece of rubber that potentially could hit them in the face, shatter their leg, shatter their hand, uh, catch them in the chin, break their jaw, whatever. These guys, they just get stitched up and come right back on the ice. So it's awesome to see what Kucherov did. Um, Great for him and all these guys. And I'm sure Montreal um, obviously had some injuries. And then you look at Tampa Bay, I'm sure, you know, in in the coming days, as they have their uh, parade and the exit interviews and all that stuff, you'll see that they had some more injuries, I'm sure. And the Conn Smythe Trophy, uh, it could have went to Kucherov, it could have went to Braden Point, it could have went to Victor Hedman, but it ultimately went to Andre Vasilevsky. And you can't pick a better guy than that. This guy, last year, he was 18-7 and in the playoffs. So remember they had those games where uh, they had like the, the round robin at the beginning for the teams that had already clinched and they didn't have to play the play-in round. Uh, because you only have to win 16 games to win the Stanley Cup. But last year, basically, in the bubble, he was 18-7 and with a .927, so a 92.7% save percentage and a 1.90 goals against average. This year, 16-7, and .937, so 93.7% save percentage, and again, a 1.90 goals against average. Unbelievable. Uh, the first goalie since Montreal goaltender Ken Dryden, to win back-to-back Stanley Cups and play every game. He played every single game in the playoffs. Never pulled one time. Um, just unbelievable what this guy's able to do. He's crazy. He's just so sick. Um, his resume, I'll give you his resume right now. Mind you, Vasilevsky is 26 years old. So in hockey, a lot of goaltenders get better as they get older. You don't see a lot of goaltenders. I mean, you saw Marc-Andre Fleury uh, flourish pretty well whenever he was young, but a lot of goaltenders... You know, tend to hit their prime when they get in their late 20s, early 30s. Vasilevsky is 26. He's got two Stanley Cups, one Conn Smythe Trophy for playoff MVP, one Vezina Trophy, which he probably should have won three, as Kucherov talked about here. We'll talk about it in a second. But that's for the best goaltender in the regular season in the NHL. Four times he was a Vezina finalist, three All-Star appearances, and two first-team All-Stars uh, announcements. So at the end of the year, they, they announced like the, the uh, first and second team at every position in the NHL. He's been named to that twice. So he's 26. On top of that, the last five times 
the Tampa Bay Lightning have closed out a series. Andre Vasilevsky has a shutout in all five of those games. In this playoff year, there were 12 total shutouts throughout the entire playoff, throughout the entire league. 12. Five of them were Andre Vasilevsky. In the Stanley Cup Final, in five games, now mind you, Tampa won the series four games to one in five games. Vasilevsky gave up eight goals in five games. Eight goals in five games. I'm speechless. I mean, this dude is unbelievable. Uh, Back in 2016, when the Penguins played them in the Eastern Conference Final, I didn't even know who Vasilevsky was because Ben Bishop was the goaltender. He got hurt in Game 1, and Vasilevsky came in, and he took the Penguins to seven games, and you knew from that point on this guy is special. Uh, And they've got a great, great, great goaltender for many years to come down there in Tampa Bay, and they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in Tampa. Um, There were some rumors about his you know, pad size, uh, I thought I saw some funny tweets and some pictures because uh, Vasilevsky was shaking hands with Carey Price after the series, and it was just funny. I mean, he he looks so much bigger than Carey Price, even though they're the same height. And, and uh, Vasilevsky, I think, only weighs five pounds more than Price. His pads look huge, but again, that's just the Canadiens fans grasping at straws, looking for something to bitch about and complain about, even though their team got blown off the ice and really. Probably uh, in a regular year wouldn't even have been in that position. So they got to be grateful that they were even there, um, in my opinion. And honestly, I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, the, the, the goaltender pads are measured. They're checked by officials. They're checked by the league every year. So that's just stupid to even bring that up. I thought that was pretty funny. But some of the some of the memes like keep making Vasilevsky bigger and bigger and bigger. And he's like taking up the entire screen. And then you see Carey Price in the top left corner. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, what people are able to do and what, what people bitch about. But uh, Vasilevsky, I mean, by the time his career is over, he might go down as the greatest of all time. And I don't feel any shame in saying that, um, especially with that team and the talent they have. I know they're going to break up a little bit. We'll talk about it here in a second with their salary cap. But they're loaded. And he's only 26 and he's already done that. You never know what he's able to accomplish the rest of his career. So swig a beer for Andre Vasilevsky. And I'm going to have to crack another beer after this. Couple other notes on Tampa. Um, in 2018, 2019, they won 62 games, and they got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets in the first round. If you remember that. Since then, Tampa Bay has won eight straight playoff series, only trailed one time in a series that was against the Islanders this year. They never lost back-to-back playoff games en route to winning back-to-back Stanley Cup championships. They never lost back-to-back games in the playoffs. One time at all the last two years. Think about that. Talk about resilience. You got a chance, you know, you lose a game, it's bound to happen. You bounce back every time. That's a resilient, well coached, you know, well performing team. You got to tip your cap to them. Um, it's just crazy what John Cooper's been able to do down there. The culture they have, uh, started by Steve Eiserman, now Julian Brisebois is kind of, uh, you know, reaping the benefits of it. No knock on him. I'm sure he's doing a great job, but that's Steven, uh, Steve Eiserman's team, Stevie Y. What a great, great general manager. And if you're a Detroit Red Wings fan, you got to be just chomping at the bit and hoping that he can do that for the Red Wings, for what he did for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, Nikita Kucherov, he had a press conference after the game, and you could say, you know, it was a little bit arrogant. Um, some people were talking about how it was finally some – personality that was shown by NHL players. The entertainment value was up, and he came out. First of all, I'm pretty sure he was waffled. I mean, he was drunk. He had no shirt on. He had a Bud Light uh, can. He chugged the Bud Light can. He was laughing at the reporters' names. He told one of the reporters that they need to spend some money and get a real microphone because he couldn't hear them. Um, And he actually ended up getting an endorsement deal from Bud Light in the wrong beer, Kucherov, the wrong beer. Because he should have went with Coors Light because other than Miller Light being the worst beer, the worst domestic beer on the planet, Bud Light's not not far from that. But, but Coors Light's the best. So and I actually just cracked the Coors Light whenever I finished my uh, El Segundo Broken Skull IPA. So I'm going to take a swig of beer on behalf of Coors Light. Somebody get me a sponsorship uh, from Coors Light. But Kucherov, I mean, he was basically talking about in his press conference too that he thought Andre Vasilevsky should have been the MVP, which he was, but he should have been the Vezina Trophy winner. He didn't name Marc-Andre Fleury. He basically said they gave it to that guy in Vegas. 
and he said the same thing about the guy uh, the prior year. I'm not sure who it was. I can't remember who won the Vezina the previous year, but he basically was just shitting on those guys. He wouldn't say their names. Um, and honestly, I you know he, he came out basically, and, and I thought he was being honest. I kind of respected it. I mean, he he came out and he said, you know, Montreal, their fans, they were cheering after Game Four when they won. They treated it like they won the Stanley Cup. They were flipping over cop cars. They were partying in the streets and all this stuff. And he's like, they're you know the the series against Vegas was Montreal's Stanley Cup, and they should have just you know been you know, not celebrated as much, I guess is kind of what he was insinuating because they were, you know, they only won one game and they pretty much got dummied in every game otherwise than that one game. So I understood what Kucherov was saying. And I found out after uh, that press conference, because I had a buddy of mine text me, um, a good buddy of mine. He said, you know what? I kind of lost a lot of respect for Nikita Kucherov after that press conference. Now, mind you, my buddy here, he's a Marc-Andre Fleury fan. So he probably took that to heart. He probably um, got pissed off that Kucherov kind of shitted on Flurry a little bit, but I could understand that sentiment. Uh, you don't see that a lot in hockey. It's usually a team game. You don't see guys, you know, they usually compliment their opponent. But I did find out afterwards that uh, Mikhail Sergachev and Nikita Kucherov were receiving allegedly uh, their families were receiving threats and like you know death threats and and um, you know bullying tweets and stuff like that and harassment. Uh, from Montreal Canadiens fans. So if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan or you're any fan in general and you're doing that, you're a piece of shit, 100%. You're a scumbag, douchebag. I, I, I don't even have a word for you uh, to describe that. You're just an absolute asshole, pretty much. And if that's the case, then I can understand you know, why Nikita Kucherov would do that and why he'd come out and say that and why he'd be feeling that and he'd be frustrated. Um, and I actually didn't have a huge problem with it. You know, I kind of like that they're showing a little bit of personality um, in the NHL. It's something that, that they need more, but you just don't see it. And I can see how it rubs along a lot of people the wrong way. So uh, swig a beer for Nikita Kucherov, but it will be Coors Light and not Bud Light. Speaking of Coors Light, uh, Coors Light is actually teaming up with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and they are melting the ice from uh, Game 5 where they played, the ice at Amelie Arena, and they're going to brew, like, commemorative beer for the Stanley Cup uh, championship for the Lightning and the Lightning fans can buy it. So I certainly would not buy that. Uh, I mean, I might buy it to have it. I certainly wouldn't drink it. Uh, some of the stuff that spit on the ice and all that shit and all the fluid and everything uh, it just seems disgusting. But I thought it was pretty cool that Coors Light stepped up and they were going to do that. Um, and then honestly, like I said, so many people were complaining about the, the cap circumvention um, and Tampa Bay ducking the salary cap with their injuries and the long-term injury reserve and all that. I don't, I don't want to get into that again, but I just want to talk about, can they maintain their, their team? You know, this, the way the salary cap is, I believe next year it's going to be $81.5 million. I don't think they'll be able to, you know, keep their team intact. Um, they've got some free agents. I believe Mark, uh, Barclay Goudreau is a free agent. And in the coming years too, I mean, you got uh, Anthony Sorelli coming up. You've got Mikhail Sergachev. You've got Braden Point coming up. Maybe they hope uh, Tyler Johnson is taken by the Seattle Kraken in the expansion draft on July 21st here coming up in a couple weeks. And like I said before, maybe they try to move uh, Steven Stamkos because they've got a good young team and they could probably move a piece or two, but they've got to get under the salary cap. I think they're $3.5 million over already for next year. And they've only got 17 players signed. They got to sign 23. So you got to figure they got to make some moves. Um, in the salary cap era, though, I do want to point out that the Pittsburgh Penguins are the most successful team in the salary cap era since 2005, 2006, when the salary cap was introduced. The Pittsburgh Penguins have 20 playoff series wins and three Stanley Cups. Right behind them, the Tampa Bay Lightning have 17 playoff series victories and two Stanley Cups. The Chicago Blackhawks, although they had three Stanley Cups, only 16 playoff series wins, and they've been pretty bad the last couple years. And the best part about this whole thing is uh, Philadelphia hasn't won anything. I mean, they've won eight playoff series since 2005, 2006, and they haven't won a Stanley Cup. And I would love to keep it that way, and I love it, and I think it's awesome. And uh, you know, all the Flyers fans out there thinking they're going to get Seth Jones from Columbus because he wants out of Columbus, he ain't coming to Philadelphia. We've seen that already. He won't sign a long-term contract there so i just love it i absolutely love the misery of philadelphia flyers fans and the one thing i'll say about tampa too is like the uh the 2004 team 
So if you go back before that list I just told you, they won a Stanley Cup in 2004. And honestly, if you go back and look at it, it's pretty crazy. I went back and actually watched the third period today. Calgary, they were playing Calgary in the Stanley Cup final. And Calgary scored in game six. They were up 3-2 in the series. They scored late in game six. And they waved it off. They said it was no goal, but it looked like it was a goal. And for some reason, they did not review it. I believe it was Jelenaw. I don't know if it was Eric Jelenaw or whoever, but his last name was Jelenaw, scored the goal. Or it went off his skate, not a kicking motion. He was stopping, and it went in. And there's a lot of people online talking about, I mean, you see the people are saying, well, last year was the bubble, and this year they're over the cap. In 2004, they actually didn't beat the Calgary Flames and blah, blah, blah. So it's pretty cool. Go back and check that out on YouTube. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting today. And the last thing I'll say about the Stanley Cup final, if you thought you were having a bad day, Brendan Gallagher of the Montreal Canadiens lost the Stanley Cup in Tampa. They flew back to Montreal. He got home and he found out his house had been burglarized. You hate to see that. He, he posted a video online of him just eating a sandwich, nodding his head, just acknowledging that it was just a shit time in his life. Um, so hopefully, you know, his family, his friends are safe and his stuff gets returned and everything like that. And nothing, you know, serious got taken and he can get his security beefed up and stuff. And you hope it wasn't a Montreal fan just being an absolute douchebag breaking into Brendan Gallagher's house because they lost the Stanley cup. So swig a beer for Brandon Gallagher and hopes he back, uh, bounces back on his feet and, uh, nothing crazy happens to him and his family or his house. Some other news from around the NHL, Vladimir Tarasenko, the stud left winger for the St. Louis Blues, he has officially requested a trade from the St. Louis Blues. And it, it appears that he's a little bit upset. He's had some injuries the last two years, a shoulder injury both years. I think he's had two shoulder surgeries. Um, and it sounds like from the article I read, um, shout out to Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic covering the St. Louis Blues, a great reporter. He basically is saying that it sounds like uh, Tarasenko's camp is upset with the medical procedure that they, that he had on his shoulder, that it didn't go right. Maybe it was misdiagnosed or the surgery wasn't right. Um, something along those lines. And it appears that both teams are just, you know, willing to, to have a divorce here. They both want a divorce. Uh, the blues want to move on. Tarasenko wants to go to a different team. He does have a full no movement clause and he carries a cap hit of seven and a half million dollars. Although this year, I believe his salary is actually higher than his cap hit the way that his contract is structured. So that throws a curveball a little bit into the uh, you know plans to trade him because the other team has to be able to have ownership that can take on that payment coming up this year on top of the cap hit. And he's only played 34 games the last two years due to this injury, so he hasn't played a lot. I know some teams have reached out from what I've heard, and they're looking at his medical records and hoping that they can uh, get a better understanding of what his health level is and how healthy he is. Because when he's healthy, he's a legit 35-plus goal scorer. Um, I mean, he's a great player. And the year they won the Stanley Cup, he was an unbelievable guy, uh, instrumental in that team's success. He can score. He can put the puck in the net. He's a great passer. He uh, logs a lot of ice time as a forward um, you hope he's healthy. You hope he gets back to his form before um, you know his shoulder injuries, and he gets those looked at and he gets those taken care of because I think he's only 29 or so, somewhere in there age-wise, and he's got a lot of hockey left. So we'll see where he ends up. The uh, New York Islanders and the Toronto Maple Leafs are both linked uh, to have inquired. I know he's interested in going to Boston or Vegas from what I've seen. Um, and like with Toronto, that's not what they need. They're so dumb. Like I, we've been over this a million times. The last thing they need is a scoring winger, and like they're also in on Taylor Hall from Boston, which he's going to resign in Boston, I think. But they're in on those guys. They still have no help on the blue line. They have no answer in goal unless they're going to go Jack Campbell because it sounds like Frederick Anderson's going to walk in free agency, and he might walk his way to Pittsburgh down on Center Avenue to PPG Paints Arena, and I'd be all right with that. But honestly, I just don't understand it. I really have no idea why Toronto every year they just try to get the main guy they try to get the big winger they don't need scoring they've got Matthews they got Marner they got Tavares they've already got huge salaries why are they in on it now in New York the Islanders it makes a little bit of sense because they might have beat Tampa if they had a scoring winger somebody they can put the puck on and you know puck in the net and create some offense on their own you never know this year so that could be a piece that they need and that makes a lot of sense but Toronto 
I kind of hope they get Tarasenko because then they'll just lose in the first round again and they'll be back trying to add more hockey cards and more all-stars next offseason. Um, just what an absolute jabroni organization. Um, on the trade front as well, Victor Arvidsson, he got traded from the Nashville Predators to the Los Angeles Kings for a second and a third round pick. And his teammate and stud, Philip Forsberg, was not happy. He posted a thumbs down picture on Instagram. He was upset, vocal about it with the organization. Um, and it sounds like, so I thought initially maybe Nashville was trading some uh, salary with uh, Victor Arvidsson, moving on to L.A., and they were going to try to make a big splash in free agency. But I guess it came out that Seattle, uh, the new Seattle Kraken team, they talked to David Poyle, the general manager of Nashville, and told him basically, hey, in the expansion draft, if you guys expose Victor Arvidsson, which the Predators were um, going to do and they planned to do, that Seattle was going to take him. So David Poyle, being smart, he said, you know what, if we're going to lose him, then let's just try to get something for him. So he trades him to L.A., gets two draft picks. Um, Arvidsson, he was pivotal. He was a pivotal player on their cup run. Uh, back in 2017, when they lost to the Pittsburgh Penguins, he had 239 points in 385 games. He only had 25 points in 50 games this year, but I think he's excited for a fresh start in LA. Um, he can score. LA needs a top six, you know, forward. Uh, they probably need one more. We'll see what they can do at the uh, in free agency here and, and, and possibly make a trade. They got some assets. Arvidsson, he's got three years left on his deal with 4.25 million, so very manageable cap hit. Um, and David Poyle, good trade, I think. You know, a lot of uh, Predators fans and, and people initially were a little bit like, what the hell, and like scratching their head that he would do that. But when he came out and saying Seattle's going to take him, I can understand why they want to get something for him. Don't just lose him for nothing to the expansion draft. So get two picks for him. I'm surprised that uh, L.A. was able to or was willing to pay those two picks. But, uh, you know, they need top six scoring, like I said. And um, we'll see what Victor Arvidsson does, his family. And he said he's, he's, he's excited for a fresh start in L.A. And it's got to be awesome going to L.A. They've got a good young team, a lot of young talent um, with some veterans like Kopitar and Drew Doughty on the back end. And Jonathan Quick, we'll see if Jonathan Quick ends up playing goal for them this year or if he gets moved on, um, you know, from that dynasty they had or that mini dynasty they had in the early part of the 2010s decade. We'll see what they can do with that. Uh, going forward here, but um, also in the NHL, like Stephen Johns. So if you don't know who Stephen Johns is, I believe he's from the Pittsburgh area. Um, he played for the Dallas Stars in their organization. He suffered a bunch of injuries, some concussions. Very unfortunate. Um, he missed an entire season, I think, a year or two ago with concussions. He came back last year in the bubble, um, and it was pretty crazy to see a story. Emily Kaplan of ESPN.com, she wrote a great article on this. So I would advise you guys go ahead and check it out. It's pretty cool. It's pretty interesting to see. Uh, Steven Johns, he's a great guy. But basically, he played in the bubble, and he was playing in a game. It was like the third period, and he said he felt good, but he couldn't remember anything from the previous two periods. And then at that point, he kind of knew, like, my concussions in my brain, I'm done. I can't play anymore. So, you know, he he retired. Um, I'm not sure if he officially retired from the NHL. I think he's got some money still on his contract, so maybe he's still on LTIR, long-term injury reserve. But whatever the case is, his hockey playing days are over. And he saw, I think it was Mike Posner, um, the rapper, the musician, um, that did like that walk across America last year, two years ago for mental health, um, which is a pretty awesome thing that that uh, Posner did. And it inspired Stephen Johns, and he did a rollerblade across America um, so it was pretty cool. He started doing that. He met a lot of people on his journey, got a lot of DMs and stuff. He said on Twitter, uh, people reaching out to him and people, you know, with support and people struggling with mental health. And uh, it was pretty awesome to see. So you got to give a big swig of beer and some stick taps for Stephen Johns. Hopefully he gets healthy. Hopefully his brain's okay. And, you know, his uh, rollerblading across America inspires people to get, you know, get in touch with their mental health, make sure they're they're um, they're okay mentally, you know. Talk to therapists, stuff like that. It was pretty cool that he's raising awareness for that. So you got to give a swig of beer for him. Um, shout out to Stephen Johns. What an unbelievable guy. In the last two points on the NHL, uh, the schedule July seventeenth, the due date for the teams to uh, submit their expansion draft list for the players they wish to protect in the expansion draft from Seattle. Uh, so they can protect six forwards, three defensemen, and one goaltender. And then Seattle, the crack, and they basically have their pick um, to select one player from each team. And they also, I believe, uh, pick a team. It'll, it'll probably be somebody local like Vancouver or something like that where they'll share a minor league team. And um, the expansion draft will be on July 21st, so four days after that. 
And then July 23rd and 24th, I believe, is the NHL draft. And then July 28th, free agency begins. So it's going to be pretty exciting. I know hockey's over. The games are over. But there's a lot of fireworks and a lot of potential this year for some big splashes in free agency and some uh, and with the trade market. So I'm so excited. I cannot wait for this offseason. We've got some great episodes coming up and some great guests uh, coming down the pike here to cover the expansion draft and free agency. So stay tuned for that um, and get pumped for that and grab your cold beers and grab your popcorn because it's going to be a pretty exciting podcast and a pretty exciting time if you're a National Hockey League fan. And some sad news this week on the podcast. Columbus Blue Jackets goaltender Matisse Kovlenix. Um, he passed away on the 4th of July from an unfortunate fireworks accident where he was at a wedding. Um, I believe he was in a hot tub from what I've read and uh, a fireworks malfunction and it hit him in the chest, some chest trauma, um, and he, he later died. Uh, so I definitely want to send my condolences out to the Kovlenix family, um, to the Elvis Merzlikens, who's also a goaltender, for the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, his family, as they were very close um, into the National Hockey League. It's a very sad time. Definitely unfortunate. Um, I believe he was 24 years old, so uh, definitely want to send my condolences out to his family. I want to pivot over and talk a little bit about uh, the European 2021 soccer tournament. And international soccer, honestly, is one of the best sports in the world. It's so electric. You get the best players in the world on the field matching up against each other in certain matchups you don't see all the time. So much pride in their country. The fans are electric. It's so much fun to watch. I've been really into this tournament. And uh, for the final, it's going to be Italy versus England. And the English think it's coming home. They think they're going to win the tournament. And they very well might. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about how they got there. So um, just mainly the Italy versus Spain game in the semifinal. Because Italy, I mean, I'm not sure who their captain is or whoever the guy that you know goes up and talks to the ref before the uh, PKs because it went through extra time. They played the whole game you know, full-time, and then it went through extra time, and there was no uh, no winner, so they go to PKs, which I think is pretty stupid that they decide the games like that. I know hockey does the same thing in the Olympics. They go to shootouts. Um, except for in the in the round of like the the medal round and and like the elimination round, they don't do that. So I don't know why soccer does that. Why not just keep playing the game? I guess it could go on for days because soccer sometimes they don't score a lot of goals. But these these are the best teams in the world and the best players in the world, and they go to PKs. But my big gripe with it is like penalty kicks. Honestly, like these guys, they go up, they'll like run up to the ball and then they stop. And the goalie like dives to the left and they just boot it to the right. Like you're allowed to stutter step, you're allowed to hop, jump, and all that stuff. And it just seems ridiculous and stupid. Um, I think they should go back to how the Major League Soccer shootouts used to be, the PK shootouts. They used to treat them like hockey. They would start the ball. I don't know if it was at midfield, but it was like pretty significantly far away from the goal. And they would run in like a, literally like a hockey shootout. Like if you've seen a hockey shootout, it looks just like that. They should definitely go back to doing that. Um, but at any rate, I, I can't wait to watch the final. Um, I'm hoping England loses. Um, I don't like Italy or England. Um, actually, if both teams could lose, that'd be great. But uh, it'd be funny to see all the English fans in agony because they're all talking about how it's coming home and they deserve to win and blah, 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 blah. And they're making a big deal out of it. So um, I'm not exactly sure when the game is. It's probably in a week or so. But uh, definitely check that out. It's going to be an awesome game. It's going to be fun to watch. Um, and last week, whenever uh, my buddy Troy was on, we talked about baseball a little bit for the first time on this podcast. And we forgot to mention one guy. I wanted to point him out on this episode. Uh, Shohei or Shohei Otani. I'm probably butchering that name. I don't watch baseball, as you guys know. Uh, baseball is boring as hell. But this guy's electric. He's a pitcher. He's a Japanese pitcher for the uh, Los Angeles Angels. But he's also leading the... Um, league in home runs. He has 32 home runs. He's a pitcher with a 3.83 ERA. Okay. Not the best ERA in the world, but a pretty good ERA for a guy that can also hit the piss out of the ball. When I was growing up, the pitchers would basically just get up there and still probably to this day, again, I don't watch baseball, but most of the pitchers just get up there and they don't even swing the bat. They just get up there and it's just an immediate three strikes and you're out. This guy, he's pitching and he's hitting 32 home runs. Leading the entire Major League Baseball in home runs is remarkable. Swig a beer for this guy. I mean, he's in the All-Star game. He's playing designated hitter for the American League. He's pitching, and he's going to participate in the home run derby. That's unheard of. It's unbelievable. Just an absolute ridiculous athletic feat. One of the closest things you'll see these days to being a two-sport athlete. Because there aren't any pitchers really in the major leagues that can hit the ball like this guy. I mean, 
somebody might get you know a home run or two here or there, but this guy's got 32. He's leading the entire majors and might end up you know leading the league for the rest of the season. He might end up winning the uh, home run title. So that's unbelievable whatever he's able to do and something I don't know if you'll ever see again. And I think they should probably go back and let these guys, let these pitchers hit. I understand, you know, you want to save their arm and save their health and all that stuff, but growing up, and I'll have to reach out to some of my buddies that played baseball at a high level, like through high school and college and stuff like that, you know, a lot of the best players on the team were pitchers. They could hit the hell out of the ball, but I don't know if it's like they get to college or they get to the majors and they just focus on pitching and they don't hit. But if you can do both, I mean, look at this guy. This guy's going to get a huge payday. I don't know what his contract is right now, but you got to figure he can go up you know, to his management uh, the GM and bend him over and basically say, "Hey, I'm the best hitter on the team. I'm the one of the best pitchers on the team. You're gonna pay me, you know, 60 sheets a year or something stupid." Um, more power to this guy. It's great to see. I love to see this. Uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, and then back, we haven't had this segment for a couple weeks, but I wanted to bring it back as we wrap up this podcast. Um, this week in sports history, on July 7th, 2001, a pretty remarkable moment. Uh, the first Daytona 500 since Dale Earnhardt Sr. died. His son, Dale Earnhardt Jr., rallied from seventh place with nine laps to go to win. An incredible moment. You got to figure it was definitely a, a, a huge moment and a very uh, somber moment for the Earnhardt family. And uh, you got to figure Dale Sr. was with his son that day. Uh, so swig a beer for Jr. Uh, for you know winning that race on behalf of his family. That's got to be an awesome moment to, to witness. Also, 11 years ago, Thursday on uh, July 8th, I remember I was at the rec center in college playing basketball when I found out LeBron James was going to take his talents to South Beach. Um, he was like in it was like a two-hour special on ESPN from the Cleveland Boys and Girls Club where he basically led the Cleveland Cavaliers fans on for two hours and then basically said, you know what, this is very tough, but you know, in the fall, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach and join the Miami Heat because it's the best chance I have to win. And honestly, probably the best move for LeBron. He won two championships there, but I'll never forget that. One of the biggest moments and definitely where uh, most of the LeBron James hate began because um, Cleveland fans were not happy. They burned his jersey. They were lighting cars on fire. They never forgave him until he came back years later and won a championship for them. Um, the the pride of Akron, Ohio, Um Definitely, I'm not sure he thought that was going to happen, but you know, I can't blame him. Would you want to live in Cleveland, Ohio, the mistake by the lake, or live in South Beach, Miami, Florida? So that's all I got to say about that. Swig a beer for LBJ. And on a wrestling note, 25 years ago this week, it's all over WWE Network on Peacock. Um, Hulk Hogan, for the first time in his career in WCW, he came out and he turned heel. Uh, just an absolute shocking turn. Nobody saw it coming, um, except for I'm not sure if it was ruined by uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, the the announcer at the time. Whenever Hogan came out to um, help the WCW guys against the Outsiders, who were Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, who ended up forming the NWO with uh, Hulk Hogan when he turned heel. But Bobby the Brain Heenan was basically like, "Whose side is he on?" And the other announcer, I'm not sure who it was, but he's like, "What are you talking about? What are you talking about?" And it was one of the most significant um, you know, moments in wrestling history. Definitely jump-started the best era of professional wrestling, the 90s, the Attitude Era, the Monday Night Wars, WWF versus WCW, seeing Hulk Hogan turn heel. And I think he was a great heel, but just crazy and a ballsy move by WCW to do that. Definitely a great move, obviously, for the success of their company for a short span, about two and a half years or so. Um, they were, oh, I guess it was a little bit longer than that. Um, they were they were in business, but about two and a half years until WWF took over with Austin and Rock and Triple H and DX and all those guys. But um, you know, an unbelievable moment in wrestling history, and definitely changed the business and one of the most significant factions in uh, professional wrestling history. Except for when the fact that they put every single person on the roster in the NWO a few months later, and it kind of killed the killed you know the the momentum they had. But swig a beer for uh, Hulk Hogan turning heel 25 years ago and joining the NWO with Scott Hall and uh, Kevin Nash. 
The last thing I want to say on the podcast is uh, in the coming weeks, you know, I mentioned I want to talk about the expansion draft and the uh, NHL free agency, the NHL draft, and all things hockey as we get into the uh, full swing of the offseason here. I definitely got some great guests lined up for you guys. I'm trying to make sure everybody enjoys the podcast and get some, you know, insight from people that you don't hear every day on podcasts. And I really appreciate you guys reaching out to me and uh, let me know which guests you want to have on the podcast and which guests you want to hear from. So keep that shit coming. I appreciate the hell out of it, and uh, I hope you guys have a great week. And remember, if I don't see you around here, I'll see you around here. Once I turn it on There's no stopping me Once I get going Put a can in my hand Man, I'm wide ass open The tick-tock of that clock Is like a time bomb By half past ten I'm half past tipsy At quarter to twelve Man, I don't have plenty The countdown's on When the first beer hits me Five, four, three, two, one There's no stopping.